Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. This is episode 9, recorded Thursday, December the 7th, 2017. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Betrayal Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. In this episode, we will be speaking with Simone Joyeux, owner of Joyeux Consulting, Sherilyn Hale, founder and principal of Watermark Philanthropic Advising, and Andrea McManus, a partner at Betrayal Group. Today's topic is nonprofit governance. Have we moved the needle? Do we need to? Nonprofit governance shares many of the attributes of for-profit governance. As we know, however, the nonprofit world does not operate exactly like the for-profit world. Today's discussion delves into just where these two worlds intersect and also where they diverge. Join us as we discuss this topic and much more coming up next on Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We have three. Well, we hope we'll have three. Uh, Andrew is still trying to chime in. Three great guests with us today. All of them, in their own way, are idols of mine. It's going to be a great discussion. I can't wait. Let's get started. Joining us from the great state of Rhode Island, we have Simone Joyeux. I think I just heard that properly, Joyeux. Um, Simone is a renowned speaker, author, and consultant with a specific expertise in nonprofit governance, among many other things. We're going to hear much more on this from her later in the podcast. While I have known Simone and her work for many years, I've only gotten to know her on a personal level in the last few years. Simone, you and Tom spend time in both the United States and in France. What I want to know is what, as an American, are the biggest differences today between these two places? What's been your oh experience? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Little um, topic, right? Biggest difference. <laughs> Uh, well, I suppose one of the biggest differences is our um, political leadership. So I'm a little bit more comfortable in France than um, in the U.S. Uh, the wine's really good, but I don't like wine. And anyway, we have great wine in the United States. So it's, I don't know, culturally, right, I'm running into trouble here. Culturally. No, you're doing well. You're doing well. Okay. Culturally, France and a lot of Europe is more of a community than a focus on an individual. So as a personality for a country, I like it when one is focused on people, not one single individual. If that makes right. sense. That's, I've always felt that way in France. Right. So you've you got a high degree of comfort being yeah. there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks, Simone. Thank you, and thank you for joining our podcast. Welcome. Also I joining us this week. You don't drink wine, Simone. <laughs> I know. I, I know. Isn't that the worst? Alcohol. So, so when we visit you know, wineries, I'm driving. Everybody else is tasting. So I'm a hot date. <laughs> that's awesome. And an inexpensive one, apparently. Um, apparently. <laughs> well, jewelry, not counting the jewelry. Right. Right. That's right. Exactly. Also joining us this morning from in Toronto, we have Sherilyn Hale. Sherilyn, this is your second visit to the Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast. Welcome back. Uh, Thank you. We were, you're welcome. Uh, while we were prepping for the show, you told me that you are, you're not really working as a fundraiser, at least not in the strictest sense anymore. I hope 
I hope we can hear more about that later in the podcast. You you also shared with me that you're in the middle of pursuing your PhD. Wow. Congratulations. I, I'm only a little bit jealous. I'm wondering if you could share with us a bit more about but what, why you decided to go that way, why you want your doctorate, and what, what, what your research focus uh, is going to be or, or what's it sort of starting to, 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 to transfer down to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> Hello. Hey, Andrea. We're just getting Hello. Cheryl in to talk about her PhD. We'll come back to you in just a minute. Excellent timing. Okay. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> go ahead, um, Cheryl. Your yeah, PhD. No, yes, happy back uh, on the on the podcast thank you for for doing this series I think it's great um, so uh, doctorate um, it was always a, a, a personal objective uh, as well as a professional objective I think um, our sector uh, in, in Canada certainly um, is strengthened uh, any time when those of us who work within the sector um, advance our knowledge our thinking, and then link that back to our practice. So I've always felt a, a sense of responsibility there uh, also. Um, my doctorate is actually in leadership, uh, which has been a great uh, interdisciplinary umbrella uh, under which to, to study philanthropy, nonprofit governance, um, and fund development. And uh, I have actually been astounded at just how uh, applicable and applied much of what I have been learning has been particularly around organizational development, how organizations learn, how they change, what my role can be in that, um, and uh, found that to be uh, very satisfying, um, quite apart from issues around leadership, leadership theory, um, how to be a great leader, how to be a good follower, uh, which is the, the flip side. Um, my my research interest has uh, kind of taken an interesting journey over the last couple of years uh, since starting the program, but um, uh, really is focused now into the topic of governance, um, with a, more of a focus on governance and succession and family philanthropy. Uh, so as a consultant, I've been doing a lot of work with philanthropists and philanthropic families. Uh, some of whom have foundations, and um, and there there is a need to understand better um, how how good governance practices can be applied in that context, and what that means for multi generational families. Uh, so that's uh, that's what's been occupying much of my time, <laughs> and more of my time going forward. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I, well, it's a good thing we had you on a, on a podcast about governance then. <laughs> Thanks, Sherilyn. Thank you for that. Uh, and, and, and thankfully and finally, we have one of my business partners, Andrea McManus. While she lives and works in Calgary, Andrea is joining us today from Edmonton, and we're so glad that you made it on. We, I was a little worried about the technology. Um, yes. Andrea, <laughs> this is your second time on the podcast, so welcome back. Um, as some of our listeners already know, you, you grew up in Prince Edward Island. I know you'll be heading back there in a few weeks for Christmas, uh, and in that spirit, I'm curious, um, would you, what are some of your family's Christmas traditions in PEI? I know, I, I caught you off guard there, but <laughs> share with us, what does Christmas look like for Andrea and PEI? I want to know. Well, I just had a text from my sister last weekend saying that I had to make the turkey, and uh, I, haven't, I haven't cooked a turkey for 
a long time. We always barbecued our turkeys, so I'm a bit panicky oh about that particular tradition. <laughs> <laughs> and, but uh, no, we uh, will there. Be, we'll have about 25 people for dinner. Uh, oh my gosh! Probably four, probably four generations, and from my father to my generation to my nieces and nephews and to their children and and various other uh, uh, relatives in a very small house that belongs to my father. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we 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 have we have a lot of uh, traditions. I'll be walking on the beach on Christmas Day. Oh, sure. Rub it in. <laughs> well, I said walking. I didn't say sitting. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But there's no, there's no idea. And uh, if I'm lucky, the sandbars will be out, and I'll get to stroll around that across them. So, yeah. Awesome. It's a beautiful well, place. Th- to th- Christmas. Thanks, Andrea. See, with that, we've added just the right amount of Christmas content to our Christmas episode. So, <laughs> just, thanks for that. Now, Andrea. You weren't you were you you weren't able to join us for the pre-show due to technological challenges, and I don't want to yeah. I don't want to just put you in cold. So we can take a few minutes if you want to catch up with people you know very well, uh, with Sherilyn and and with uh, with Simone. So if you want to say hi or anything else, do that now, um, and, and oh. catch up person. Hello, That's ladies. Right. Well, I saw I saw I saw Sherilyn on Monday night in Toronto. So oh, okay. So it's not been that long. Uh, short, short but sweet, and with Simone. <laughs> Can't wait to see you again sometime at a conference somewhere. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Exactly. Now, was is it, uh, Sherilyn, is your daughter's name, is it Adelaide? It is. So, yes, and so was Adelaide with you guys when the, when Andrea visited? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yes. I Sherilyn, and, and Adelaide and I read some books the next morning before I had to get my flight back. I, we, we heard, oh. go ahead. I did, so this is Simon. Yeah, and wonderful aunties. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I met Adelaide. Yeah, I met Adelaide, so did Tom, and we read books and had a couple discussions around um, songs. Oh. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Several kind of, you know, this way we should sing, uh, that sort of thing. Yep. That's awesome. I'm going heard- to introduce her to classic rock. Oh yes. Well, we heard the, we heard on the pre we heard on the pre show that Adelaide is taking music lessons at age two or going to music something at age two. Right. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. How <laughs> oh, fun. Okay. So, uh, d- did that give you enough time to catch up in a very brief yeah. way, Andrea? I, I, like, yes, I, I just want to give you that opportunity. Thank you, Vincent. So, I am sorry that I was late coming in. Oh no, no need. I, we we get sometimes those things just don't happen. I'm glad you were able to join us though, and you just your timing was impeccable. Just as I was introducing Sherilyn before you, so great. Um, so thank you all for joining us on this our ninth podcast. Wow, I honestly can't believe that we that we've done nine. Time has seriously flown. We're excited to hear from you all. Today's topic is nonprofit governance. Have we moved the needle? Do we need to? Nonprofit governance is, in theory, just like for-profit governance. In practice, they can and often are very different. In the for-profit world, directors are paid. In the nonprofit world, they are often or most times volunteers. In the for-profit world, directors tend to focus on governance. In the nonprofit world, directors' roles can include everything from working the welcome desk at an event to approving the annual budget. And we have not even mentioned fundraising. In the for-profit world, revenue generation is almost exclusively the role of management. In the nonprofit sector, 
directors are often asked and expected to both govern and to fundraise. Governance in the nonprofit world appears to be challenging, to be a challenging and messy affair. Is it? Does it need to be? Sherilyn, let's start with you. Is it really as challenging and messy as it appears to be? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little soft lob. Yes, I, you know, I do think it's it's challenging and it's going to get more challenging um, for a whole host of, of reasons. Um, you know, certainly on the corporate governance side, uh, we're, we're seeing increased regulation that impacts, uh, that directly relates to governance and oversight, um, uh, increasing expectations of uh, the role of governance and what that means for performance. Uh, and as in other spaces, you know, what we see on the corporate side, uh, ultimately tends to, to either directly uh, um, flow on to the nonprofit space or trickle, trickle down, if you will. Um, so, so a couple of things. One, I think that, um, uh, that our organizations are getting increasingly complex, uh, both in terms of their funding structures, in terms of their constituencies, in terms of the composition of the people that they work with or serve. Uh, and that, that has huge governance implications. Secondly, I think there is um, increasing disparity and a lack of, of um, uh, uh, well, d- disparity in the sector, meaning there's a, a lot of smaller organizations that uh, can barely find a warm body to serve on the board. And then at the very uh, other end of the, of the sector, you have the very sophisticated um, organizations where it's it's almost a competitive process to get on the board, uh, and they are able to at- attract and retain a certain caliber of volunteer. So uh, that's another real tension. Um, thirdly, and lastly, I'll say um, it's also, I have heard with my consulting hat on the organizations that I work with, it's increasingly difficult to get board members at either end of the spectrum, particularly uh, for those volunteers who, um, you know, have greater understanding of governance and the the uh, responsibilities and the liabilities of governance, many of them are saying no, thank you. So, you know, those are just three uh, kind of hot spots, if you will. Uh, but the governance landscape is changing, um, and I I'm not sure. In fact, I don't believe that our sector is well positioned. Uh, or as well positioned as it could be uh, to to respond, and that has big implications for the sustainability of the sector uh, and how we move forward. Hmm. Who wants to go next? Great, thanks, Sherilyn. I'd like to respond to that if I could. This is Sima. Please do. Uh, I I really like hearing about that those sort of observations you have, Sherilyn, about the future. What I'm seeing and what I continue to see, and I. I am ending my 30th year as a full-time consultant at the end of December. Um, But I've not seen much change or improvement. No matter what size organization, what budget size, no matter how sophisticated supposedly the board members are, I find that most boards are mediocre at best, dysfunctional at worst, and there are darn few that I would say are really good. 
Agreed. And this, yeah, and this is the case even with very large institutions that have supposedly very sophisticated board members. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that part of this is because our entire lives we've been taught management, you know, finish your homework, you can go play, organize this, do that. And we're not really taught that much about governance. And again, that goes for, you know, the big, important men and women who serve on boards. I have had people who are supposedly, you know, very bright, very sophisticated, very whatever, who should have known what governance is. And they'll tell me, nah, you know, I disagree about this, I disagree with that. I'm looking at them and go, you can't disagree. (laughs) I'm sorry. There are actually facts. There's actually a body of knowledge. So governance is a group activity. It only happens when we're together as a group. When we talk about corporate governance, I'm not talking about kings, queens, and presidents. And so we have to be in the room, so to speak, and talk about the right stuff in the right way. We certainly don't all have to agree, but we have to not talk about certain things because it's management. We should be talking about the kinds of things that Sherilyn has mentioned. What are the implications longer term? And... I, I find myself increasingly frustrated by the fact that individuals do not know how to use conversation as a core business practice. They don't understand systems thinking, learning organization, business theories, so they can't have decent conversations in a room, which is, again, what we do as a board, as a group. Furthermore, you add in the issues of power, which instead of getting less worse, are getting more worse. So, you know, the CEO of that really big for-profit company is on our board, and what he says goes. Mm -hmm. Then the CEO of the other big company, the woman, wants to meet with the the director, the CEO, you know, I don't know, at least you know, every other week to know what's going on. It's like, no, that's management. So we don't understand, I don't think, as a sector, we don't understand the fundamentals of governance. People keep interchanging the words. Board means board member. No, it doesn't. They are vastly different. And until we even get the basics down, which, as I say, for the 30 years I've been consulting, I am stunned repeatedly, and I'm not talking about small organizations only. I'm talking about all sizes and types. They don't even get the basics. Mm-hmm. Sounds like we need a, a man, mandatory uh, corporate governance institute of some sort. Andrea, did you want to weigh in? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I agree with both Sherilyn uh, and uh, Simone, and uh, it reminds me of one of, one of my pet peeves, um, about the way boards think about themselves um, is when a, somebody on a board will say, we're a governance board. Okay. And my, my response <laughs> is always, every board is a governance <laughs> board. You know, every board ha- shares the same fundamental governance responsibilities. And I think that, uh, I, I agree that, I don't, I don't think that a lot has, has changed, um, I think, because some of us are still having the same conversations that we had 
20, 25 years ago. Uh, one of the stories that, and, and this is the truth, I've written about it. One of the stories that I, they often, I often tell is about um, sitting down with two women who were asking me how you do something uh, with an organization. And I said, well, you know, you, you need to draft some messaging. Well, we don't have a communications person. And I said, well, then your ED would do that. And they said, no, no, we don't have any staff. And I said, okay, well, do you have a communications committee of the board? Oh, no, we don't have any committees. We're a Carver board. And this, this is a true story. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I actually sort of was momentarily speechless. And then I said, well, who does the work? <laughs> you know? Right. So I think there is, and I've always found that, that, and I would say organizations of, of varying sizes try to peg themselves into, um, we're this kind of board or this kind of board or this kind of right. board. And what they should mm-hmm. be looking at is, this is, whatever we're doing today, what is our organization going to need from its board and from um, its, its governance and strategy five years down the road? Looking forward. You, you know, you la- we said we don't, you know, we're a governance board. And I love it when people say we're a working board. It's like, you know, even if you're, you're so a board is a board, governance, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's a lot of work. And then if we don't have staff or enough staff, then we take off our board member hat and we become mm-hmm. a volunteer doing a specific thing. But that specific thing is never discussed at a board meeting because it's not governance. It was management. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I wasn't at a uh, at the board meeting. I wasn't doing governance. I was doing volunteer management. I actually have I actually have hats that I take to my board training sessions. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. I make people put them on. <laughs> put them on. Take them off. Wrong hat. <laughs> right. That's great. Exactly. Exactly. So, what are the hats that you have? Like, oh, they're, just, they're funny, funky hats, but the, but they they point to the fact that um, at, at different points of time, as you engage with the organization, you yeah. have to remember and be clear on what hat you're wearing when. Right, right. And mm-hmm. you know, to link it to to you know to fundraising and part of our conversation today, I think um, that is often an area where board members kind of bump into staff and those lines between what is governance and what is mm-hmm. management um, get yeah. really blurry. And I think the fundraising profession, uh, of which I've been a part my whole career, um, I think we're complicit in a lot of bad behavior. Yep. And we give mixed messages to board volunteers. Oh, yeah. And then we get ticked off when they don't do right. what, we want, when, what we want them to do. Uh, and when they don't seem to be getting it, right? They're not getting it because many of us haven't gotten it. Right. Too many too many fundraisers don't know enough about governance to be able to set the context at a fund development committee meeting without sort of saying, so what do you think we should do in fundraising? You don't do mm-hmm. that. You set the context by explaining this is how it works, this is what doesn't work, let's not do this, let's not do that. You know, I mean, and and it, and if you don't know that as a fundraiser, then how can you run a development committee? And how can you mm-hmm. give proper support when I'm not a board member, but I am a great fundraising volunteer because I'm not at a board meeting, 
and then you give me tips and you help me do it as opposed to, as a development officer once said to me, I'll be goddamned if I'm going to follow up with board members who said they'd help fundraise. They're adults. They should do it on their own. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my All right. God. We, just, we just earned our first explicit tag. I love it. <laughs> so uh I I heard Andrew you 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 mentioned uh that comment that drives you crazy when someone says we are a carver board. For our listening audience, can you give a quick thumbnail sketch of what is a carver board? I think I've blocked it from my memory actually, but um Okay, okay. <laughs> no, a carver board is uh it was a philosophy by John Carver Gosh, it's got to be 20, 25 years ago, and yeah. that um, that uh, boards operate at the. It's also called. It's also, you know, like policy governance. Boards operate at the highest level of of uh, policy, and um, you know, I think there's some good things about it, but there's also some things that are very hard to apply in the nonprofit in the nonprofit mm-hmm. world. Um, it distinguishes between ends and means um, mm. and executive li- executive limitations. Mm-hmm. I know many organizations that have tried to transition to a par- Carver board. I don't know a single one that has done it successfully. Right. No, me neither, yeah. Andrea. I, I actually... Neither have I. I've seen more <laughs> modified Carver. Like people will take what they like of it and then and then adapt it, which I think is a good point about governance because if you've seen one board, you've seen one board. Uh, and I do believe while there are core governance principles, absolutely, how they're expressed in in different organizations need to reflect the, the realities and the nature of that organization. Um, but that that to do that translation, you need to understand what the core pr- principles are and yeah. what are the core fiduciary requirements. Yeah. Uh, so I absolutely yeah. adore some of Carver's work. I think his limitations concepts are brilliant. So when you say, you know, here's the executive director's job description, right, which is adopted by mm-hmm. the board, and and it, you know. The bottom line ultimately is the executive director can do or should do every single thing to make this an effective organization. But here are the things the executive director can't do. Can't Mm -hmm. spend money that hasn't been budgeted. Can't Mm -hmm. change the mission. You know, a couple things like that. Um, Some of the limitations. So I use a a lot of the, the spirit of the limitations and actually cite Carver in a lot of my work where I'll say, so, Here's what a board member does. The board member's performance expectations are the following thing, blah, blah, blah. And here's what they absolutely cannot do. Neither the board nor an individual board member nor a committee can actually direct staff. Only the CEO can direct other staff. Mm-hmm. So the, the, it's a, a committee can't encumber funds. Certain committees can't. I mean, so the, some of the limitation stuff are just great. But I mm-hmm. do, I mean, all three of us know boards who have imploded because he is so strict. Now, I mean, for heaven's sake, I'm known as being, you know, just do it. Do it this way. Don't do it any other way. <laughs> Except unless it's sort of a meaningful conversation we should have, so then I wouldn't say that. But nonetheless, I'll still say, so Carver doesn't believe in finance committees. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. 
when we talk fiduciary, yeah. forget how small you are. I want to know there's a finance committee yeah. at the multi-million dollar university that's spending yeah. a little bit more time than the board, but the committee can't make the decision. The boards have to make the decision, et cetera. So he's, um, it's unfortunate because I think it's given his concepts a bad reputation because he's so apparently they're very, very strict when I'm consulting about it, where some of the stuff is absolutely marvelous. We just have, you know, you might just choose to back it down a notch. Right. I think one of the uh, uh, one of the tensions in in nonprofit boards that I've seen um, in organizations that um, put a lot of stock into being a governance board, and they are very hands off. There, there isn't a, and they do focus on policy, and they may be doing a decent job at governance, but they're so um, disconnected to the mission of the organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's, that's, that's a problem for fundraisers because you want them to have that passion. You want them to be able – you want them to be really connected and understand what the organization is doing and how it's doing it and being able to, you know, speak to your mission and your case. On the other hand, we've got board members who – they don't have a clue what's going on on a day-to-day basis, um, and 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 begin to lose interest. So I think there's a I think there's a wide mm-hmm. or a very broad spectrum there. I mean, I've also been to board meetings. <clears throat> had a client once who worked in animal care, and every board meeting there were dogs and cats and bunnies and on the boardroom table. People would go out and get a pet and come in and. It was very hard to conduct any board business. <laughs> 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 Those of us who are allergic, I'm allergic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't. I don't know. You know. That, I think that's a. I, I, I call that attention. I, I and mm-hmm. I don't. You know, maybe some practical tips for people on how to bridge that gap. Organization. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can give you some examples. I think, first of all, the first thing I would say is we have got to distinguish between the board and the board members. So when I'm a board member, yeah, I go to board meetings, mm-hmm. but outside of board meetings, there are certain things I'm supposed to do. Um, I've mm-hmm. seen some marvelous examples at board meetings, you know, the proverbial start with a mission moment where you bring in clients, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's like 10 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Or depending mm-hmm. on your board meeting design, I mean, as a board chair partnering with the CEO, I'm designing board meetings that make sure when when we're when it's not say budget time where we spend most of our time on the budget, we will make sure that we bring in one of the key programs and that they and then we get stories about the key program and we may have a conversation with staff and clients for 20 30 minutes because we're there's best part of the you know, the feeling, the experience, the whatever. Um, and then we design conversations. Back to you, Sherilyn, about some of the issues you brought up. It's like, at this board meeting, we'll be reading an advanced article about this topic, and then we're going to spend 30 minutes talking about the implications for the future and what we should do to anticipate it. 
I mean, let's use the wisdom of all those individuals who are in one room. And eventually, if they're not going to board meetings and if they're not actually understanding sufficiently why the mission matters and why the donors give through us, then you remove them from the board. You don't let them sit there for two consecutive three-year terms. You remove them. I wondered how long it would take before you said that statement, Simon. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. yeah, you graciously remove them. Yeah, bless and release. Well, and and that mm-hmm. speaks to the whole, you know, some of the some of the really functional aspects of governance around board evaluation, around yep. um, culture around the table, uh, in terms of truth telling. Um, yep. Uh, you know, the, so board hygiene, um, you mm-hmm. know, ground attendance, being prepared. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, asking strategic questions. And these are some of the fundamental things that, um, that I think, you know, for many, many organizations, you know, they don't know what they don't know. Um, yeah. on the other hand, I, I still sometimes get kind of frustrated because never, ever in the history of time has there been more governance resources free, available, online, mm-hmm. downloadable um, <laughs> resources mm. um, for boards. And, and you know, I, I don't know what the answer is uh, for boards that, um, that are not interested in that. Um, and certainly in the Canadian regulatory landscape, you know, unless you do something really, really, really terrible or something really, really, really terrible happens in your organization, there's no teeth. Yeah. To, to, in terms of, of, um, uh, legal, you know, um, penalties and so forth. Um, so, you know, one of the cases that I will often make with organizations that I work with is that, you know, good governance can be a real, um, differentiator uh, of them in the philanthropic landscape, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. out in the community, earning support and, you know, sharing your mission, um, that, you know, and, and from the philanthropist side, you know, I'm certainly seeing it's an increasing area of inquiry, uh, when philanthropists are wanting to connect with an organization and, uh, make significant investments. Uh, I do research for for philanthropists, and a whole area that I I look at is the governance of the organization. Right. Um, so so I think I think for for those of us who work in this sector, um, who may be a bit more immersed in it, that even some of the board volunteers, that we do have an important role to to nudge, encourage, uh, introduce, recommend. Um, ways and support the board in helping them fulfill their governance responsibilities. So what you just said, Sherilyn, to me, the key person responsible for good governance is the CEO. Mm -hmm. Board members don't, you know, board members do not have to. I, I mean, we'd all like them to actually get trained, but that could be part of the orientation and that can be a mandatory board meeting. So when when I see really good governance, it's because the CEO knows good governance. Because mm-hmm. the CEO knows how to facilitate groups, facilitate a board chair who doesn't know enough about governance. Mm-hmm. Because the CEO is saying, 
no, this is a board decision. I've given you background and thought. Here are the sort of strategic questions you might wish to to talk about. So the best, most effective boards I've ever met were because the CEO knows what good governance is, and it's his or her job to enable it to happen. And it's her job to make sure that the governance committee, nominating committee, board development committee, whatever anybody calls it, is looking for candidates who actually understand governance to some degree and that that CEO is grooming all sorts of board members to become board chairs. And then the CEO has to be vocal enough at those governance committee meetings saying, I don't think Bob would be a good board chair because he doesn't, he's not a good facilitator. He's very much of a, this is my way or the highway, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I put a ton of this at the feet of CEOs. Again, I, CEOs, I agree. You know. I, agree. <laughs> I think but, that's fair. But ultimately, it is the board's job to govern itself, um, right? I, I, I believe um, with support from a from a good CEO. But they they cannot. There are some things that you can delegate, and that is not one of them. Oh, I agree. Right? You can't delegate it, but a good CEO can yes. facilitate it. And I think you said a good CEO is someone who knows good governance. Oh, um, that's an interesting convert. That's an interesting statement. And I don't know if that's part of the criteria that we're that we're using. If that's true, if we're using that criteria as uh, at the level we need to be using it when we're hiring oh, CEOs. Exactly. I don't. So in my CEO job description, it says you have to be knowledgeable about governance. But in most, and particularly in small organizations. When I'm working with really small organizations, they're saying to me, I, I don't want to, I, no, I got, I'm the executive director. It's about program. It's like, no, it isn't. It isn't about program mm-hmm. anywhere as much as you think it is. It's about finance, governance, HR. Hmm. I want to circle back to something that Cheryl, Sherilyn talked about with respect to that, uh, as opposed to the, the stick which isn't often applied, you know, because, you know, have to do something really terrible for the stick to come out. But the, the <laughs> carrot is that, um, that, uh, that if the organizations that have, that are known to have great governance, um, tend to be more attractive to, uh, to fundraising and philanthropic investment. And that's certainly being seen with some of the things that are, I, I think I shared an article with you guys about that term, ESG funds. Uh-huh. You know, the E uh-huh. stands for environmental, the S stands for social, and the G stands for governance. Um, governance so yeah. I find it so interesting that, that it's not just uh, are you environmentally responsible, are you socially responsible, but do you have a, a, a governance structure that's worthy of investment? I find it and so most interesting. People that people can't even answer that. <laughs> right. And so the people that can are, do, no. are going to do better, are going mm-hmm. to do better in the fundraising landscape, I, I would say. Andrea, did you want to weigh in on any of this? Sorry, yeah, Sherry, no, go I, 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 go ahead. <laughs> Sorry, I'm no, not reacting right. very well. Go ahead, Andrea. Oh no, I, I, I agree. I, I think um, I was, I was trying to think back to CEO job descriptions, and I think mm-hmm. um, the wording in there is often work with the board. Um, oh, yeah. Right. And, um, yeah. I don't. I, 
I think that's I think that's a very good point. I do, I think the board has to govern itself, but I think a, a good CEO of a organization that runs really well um, is enabling uh, um, good governance. Um, I, I would just a stronger word, I think, than facilitate. I think I would say enable because yeah. a, a CEO who does not uh, understand governance and 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 believes that um, and facilitating or enabling the board is not his or her responsibility, um, oh, that yeah. can have seriously negative implications for the organization. And I have seen yeah. that as well. <laughs> Oh yeah, Sherilyn. You you had a Sherilyn. You had a comment, and uh, and it, we got kind of pushed it around. So drop in now if you wanted to. Yeah. Well, so just reflecting on um, you know governance and my years as a fundraiser and um, my actually one of my first exposures to governance and fundraising was in the early 2000s, and I went to a AFP governance session led by Simon. Oh. <laughs> was I any almost good? 20, almost 20 <laughs> years ago, you were. And I remember leaving that session, I didn't know you at all uh, at that point, um, coming out and, and really saying, wow, like that's really interesting. And, you know, I've kind of, and, and I've carried that thread uh, with me many years since. But I think as for those uh, of us who have or do work as fundraisers or have a fundraising function within organizations, there's a real way in which, um, even though we're not the CEO, uh, that in how we work with mm-hmm. boards and board members, we can help uh, help them connect the dots between their governance responsibilities and their support for fundraising. Right. Yeah. And so we always say, you know, support for fundraising is not just going out on asks. You need some people to do that. Not everyone has to do that. Mm-hmm. But if you think of the three key roles of, of the board, uh, you know, setting organizational direction, uh, mm-hmm. ensuring adequate resources, and thirdly, providing oversight, each of those things are fundamental. So without a strategic plan uh, and strategic priorities, what are you raising money for? Right. The board has to fulfill it. It's work there in order to uh, enable fundraising, um, ensuring adequate resources, having having a competent CEO that understands philanthropy, that um, you know reviews the fund development plan, that um, you know understands the role of philanthropy in the organization. That's helping to ensure uh, adequate resources for the organization, and then thirdly, providing providing oversight, um, ensuring that the organization is investment worthy. That um, that they understand the challenges in the fundraising area uh, and are committed to help strategize and, and resolve. So, and then the, just the overall moral leadership uh, mm-hmm. in the organization. All of those things are so critical to fundraising and being able to fundraise. Um, and I think sometimes as, as fundraisers, we discount those things or we forget how important they are to our ability to do our work. Um, and so just being able to connect those dots, uh, even if it's just giving a presentation to the board and reminding them or pointing out uh, that, you know, their review and approval of the annual fund development plan, core to, to their role as mm-hmm. board, but so valuable uh, for for staff now to be able to move forward. Um, so, so in that way, I think, um, you know, we can help 
board members really make the, connect those dots in a way that's meaningful for our work and meaningful for them. As opposed yeah. to saying, think- well, you're not making your calls. You suck. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh, Michelin. Is yeah. on? Okay, so you're saying yes. Andrea, did you want to weigh in with something more than well, yes? Yeah, I, I, I think that, that sort of, um, uh, um, not a bit of a light bulb because I, I, I talk to, when I'm working with boards, um, and, and with fundraisers, I think, you know, we ask, uh, you ask, you mentioned about boards being, uh, engaged in fundraising and nine times out of ten, um, the response is, oh, I can't ask for money. I can't raise money. Mm-hmm. And if we, and I agree with what Sherilyn is saying, because talking about, I, 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 I say that if you're on a board, you're engaged in fundraising just by right. virtue of your governance um, responsibilities. But Sherilyn, what I liked about what you said is it just, it drilled down into that more. Um, and being engaged putting the governance responsibilities in the context of fundraising in a way that I hadn't thought of before. So I think that's, um, I think that's blog worthy. I, don't uh, <laughs> I think it is too. I can see a blog coming. Yeah. So, so there's a hundred different things I was writing down as we were talking. You guys have so much depth and experience with governance. Uh, we definitely have, a ton more podcasts. Unfortunately, we can't do it all today. Um, one of the things that stuck with me, and it might become the title, Sherilyn, is if you've seen one board, you've seen one board. I, I love that comment, and uh, it might become the tagline for this. But we uh, we do need to draw this to to a bit of a close. It's been a fantastic discussion. Uh, I really do think there's a lot of threads, and we'll have lots to talk about. We, we'll have all, all of you back to talk about this and more. I want to thank you. You've been great guests, Sherilyn. Simon, Andrea, I hope I hope we can have each of you back on the podcast, as I mentioned. But before we go, I, I want to give each of you a chance to tell us a little bit more about what you're working on. You know, where, where people can reach you, or you know, do a rant or, or or whatever. So maybe we'll start with you, Simon. What do you want our listening audience to hear or to know from you? You're not going Simon to rant. <laughs> I, I think Simon can rant if she'd like. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, we just right. No. Fire lousy board members, destroy all executive committees. Let's see. (laughs) So Fire lousy board members is a book. The Destroying Executive Committees is an article, which is soon to be a book. Um, As Sherilyn said, there's tons of information on all of this, and shame on us us if we don't choose to learn. So I've got a free download library where there's dozens of materials about fundraising, governance, planning, et cetera, the optimum word there is it's free. Organizations take it, they retype it, they edit it, they put it on their letterhead, and that's all fine because that's why it's there. Um, I blog as Simon Uncensored. Uh, one gentleman, I got a couple emails when I was blogging about the situation, uh, the political situation in the U.S. Got an email from somebody saying, this is a business website and you shouldn't be talking about those things. And I responded that my blog, Simon Uncensored, is in multiple categories. So there's a one category is boards, and another is fundraising, and another is planning, and another is management. Don't read the social commentary blogs if you don't <laughs> want to read my social commentary. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Vincent. No, go ahead, Samantha. I'm just okay. giggling away. Okay. So the last thing I would say is everyone should go to YouTube and look up the classic rock show. It's a boot yes. band out of Liverpool, and it makes me weep. They're so good. The classic oh, show. So that's my last comment. That's awesome. Um, Samad, where can they find these free resources that you talked about? So it, 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 it's uh, on my website, my, and my okay. website's just my name, simonjoyo.com. And there's a whole thing that says this is called the Learning Center, and part of it is the free download library. Awesome. Awesome. Now, of course, everyone's going to be going to the classic rock show. I won't do it right now because we're on the podcast, but I want right, to. Right. Um, so thank you for that. Sherilyn, can you, can you top that? I can't. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want people to know? What, what are you working on? You mentioned some stuff in the pre-show. I don't know if you want to yeah. share any of that or it's too early, but, uh, but think about that. Yeah. So, um, Hmm. So a couple things. The, uh, I have, uh, uh, I am involved in a new initiative by the Mutart Foundation in celebration of their 65th anniversary. They'll be doing a more formal announcement in March, um, but uh, they are um, drawing uh, leaders from the sector across the country to develop an online book or a text uh, on the charitable uh, sector in Canada. Uh, it's being edited by uh, uh, Bob Wyatt, who's the head of the Mutart Foundation, as well as Dr. Susan Phillips from Carleton University. Uh, and there's a, a few of us on the advisory committee uh, helping bring some shape to that project. But um, uh just had two days uh, of an author's workshop uh, with authors from across the country who are um, tasked with writing uh, about particular topics, and I think I think it's going to be uh, an extraordinary resource, uh, free online resource for uh, a variety of audiences. Um, so that uh, you'll likely hear more about that to come. Um, what do I want to? I, you know, I think uh, when we talk about some of the the challenges uh, and issues in our sector, we we're it's right to also remind ourselves. Uh, about the good things. And I have mm-hmm. to say, you know, as the year comes to a close and I reflect on uh, the families that I've been working with, the, the nonprofits and charities that I've been working with, I, I remain um, inspired by the, the philanthropic intent um, that is a thread through all my work. And boards can be terribly dysfunctional. Um, more often than not, it's a group of people who intend well and they care about the mission of the organization and they, they want to make a difference. Um, with the, the families that I've had opportunity to work with this year, extraordinarily um, passionate about wanting to be responsible, wanting to really make a difference with their giving, um, wanting to engage their kids in, in a way that uh, will lead them down a path of, of generosity in the future and um, it's just it's very inspiring for me and what, what keeps me going in my work. Lastly, uh, I am a, an advisor and a trainer with BoardSource, um, which unfortunately is not as well known in Canada as it is in the U.S. where it's based, but uh, certainly encourage listeners to go and visit their website. They've been producing some terrific resources uh, around the issues of, of board diversity, 
around the board's role in advocacy uh, and uh, and just even basic things like roles and responsibilities and so forth. So um, invite uh, people to check that out. Uh, my company is Watermark Philanthropic Council. It's watermarkpc.com. Uh, I have a lot on the go. I just can't seem to squeeze in any blogging. I can barely, barely get my newsletter out. Um, but always happy to connect with uh, connect with with people like minded people who uh, also want to make the world better. So thanks for having me on today. Well, thank you, Sherilyn. That was um, I'm, I'm glad you you did a little counterpoint that was inspirational. That it's we did talk about dysfunction, we did talk about challenge, but there's also a lot of love and and inspiration, and so that was beautifully said. And um, I really like your newsletter, so I'm sorry you don't have more time for blogging, but uh, I do like your newsletter. Um, Andrea, what, what do you want the, the world to know and hear about? Uh, and we've already talked about um, dinner in PEI, so yeah. move on. <laughs> well, I want everybody to appreciate how difficult it is to follow these two uh, fantastic uh, women and, and thinkers. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I – I'm going to challenge fundraisers because I, I think that uh, as fundraisers, we have more influence and ability to influence our organizations than we are pre- often prepared to reach out and, and, and not reach out and not, and not grab that and, and go with it. And I think that we have a real role to play. Of course, all organizations are different, but we have a real role to play in folding or conflating no I'm not conflating is not the right word but but including uh, how 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 governance and fundraising work together and how one of the key aspects of governance is that you're you're ensuring and leading governing a well run organization that people will invest in philanthropically and and recognizing that and celebrating that, and I think we have room to to promote that and um, and improve improve governance, but also raise philanthropic support for the organizations that are dear to us. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that reminder, and also for the call to action, Andrea. I um, it's been humbling, and it's been a great privilege to to be on this podcast in the background with the three of you, um, really important leaders in our sector. So with that. Uh, our gift of another brain trust philanthropy powered by Vitreo has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you will join us again next month when our topic will be China, the new superpower of philanthropy. We will be welcoming back Melody Song and also welcoming a new guest on our panel, Laura Edwards. Until then, on behalf of all of us at Betrayal Group, we wish you and yours a wonderful holiday season and we look forward to talking with you in 2018. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.